Welcome to the Boulder City Podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Christina Vela, the CEO of St. Jude's Ranch for Children. Anyone who's driven by St. Jude's Ranch for Children on the lakeside of Boulder City has seen major construction work underway on 10 acres on the south side of the facility. Dr. Christina Vela, the CEO of St. Jude's Ranch, explains what's going on there with the creation of the Healing Center, a first-of-its-kind facility that will also address the treatment of victims of sex trafficking. Dr. Vela also explains how St. Jude's Ranch for Children currently operates and how the Healing Center will be different but serve the same original goals of St. Jude's Ranch as it celebrates its 57th anniversary in 2023. Vela reveals little-known facts about the ranch, including services offered in the chapel and the fact that there is no condition with the famous St. Jude's Ranch Hospital in Memphis. She spoke with me at her office at St. Jude's Ranch for Children in early August. Welcome to the Boulder City Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Christina Vela, the CEO of St. Jude's Ranch for Children. Christina, thanks for joining us. It's great to see you. I, as I said, I wanted, I've been wanting to do this for quite some time and find out about uh, St. Jude's Ranch. And uh, and now that you got the new uh, the new operation underway, um, I, I'm really anxious to hear what's going on. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. So St. Jude's Ranch has been a, a member of the Boulder City community for many years. Uh, can you give us a brief history of, of of what you've done at this facility and, and uh, why Boulder City was actually chosen as the host city? Yeah, you know, our organization has been here since 1966. Mm-hmm. So quite honestly, I, I've seen lots of black and white photos of our campus, right. those aerial pictures mm-hmm. where Boulder City grew up around the yeah. ranch, <laughs> not the ranch sort of being inserted, but it's really impressive to see how much this community has grown over the years. But, you know, back in 1966, of course, I, I, I wasn't here. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the mission, the goal to create a safe place for children that needed a safe home mm-hmm. has, ex- you know, all of these years later, our mission has remained exactly the same. Of course, how we do our work has changed over sure. the years because the needs of kids and families has become more and more complex. Mm-hmm. So back in the 60s and 70s, it might have been that a child came here because maybe there was violence in the home right. or uh, a parent was an alcoholic or some mental health issues. But although this may not be true, but like a lot of singular types of family issues, mm-hmm. right? Not like what we see today where we see this convergence of right so many complex issues that kids and families are facing. So over the almost 57 years, so our birthdays in September will be 57, Mm -hmm. um, a lot has happened, right? We've grown, we've changed, um, but what stays steadfast for us is loving how much, I mean, we love being here in Boulder City. We love that Boulder City community has embraced us and comes and visits and hangs out, which really is so much part of our tradition and legacy is keeping those front gates open Mm -hmm. so that people can come and visit us and visit the thrift store and the chapel and come to events. Um, Because we, you know, our tagline is a community of hope. Mm -hmm. And when we use the word community, we certainly are referencing our the community of services that we offer at St. Jude's Ranch for Children, but but convert but also like the community as a whole, right? We sure. welcome people to be part of a community of people that know that with hope, all things are possible. Okay. 
So uh, you've got you've got individual, uh, I guess, casita type of things here. Uh, yep. and, and are there families in each one of those? Yeah, so we have 10 homes on campus. Mm-hmm. We're licensed by Clark County Department of Family Services to be a foster care provider. Okay. So those 10 homes would equate to 60 beds, means mm-hmm. that we have 60 children living here at any given time. Now, historically, our model was a house parent model, right. so where we recruit people mm-hmm. to be professional foster parents that live in these homes and okay. they work here and like they work here as a full-time mm-hmm. employee but they get paid and they live here okay that model has been changing over the last several years especially post covid it's mm-hmm. been a lot harder to find people that want to live and work at the same place sure right so right now we actually do have a few houses open mm-hmm. meaning we're actively recruiting to recruit those foster parents But we're simultaneously looking at our model and saying, okay, so if the times have changed and people don't want to live and work in the same place to the degree that they used to, how do we utilize these houses? Because there's children right now at Child Haven, which is the emergency shelter where the kids that we would serve would come from. So there's a lot of kids there Mm -hmm. and we have a lot of homes and beds available how do we adapt to those sure. times? So, so that's the question on the table, right? Mm-hmm. We're 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 making some changes. Um, so it's a it's a you know a work in progress, right. if you will. So, do you have any any homes here with with uh, the parents of the children living here? Their biological parents? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, but okay. we actually have thought of that model where mm-hmm. we would welcome instead of just the children, right. that we would welcome, let's say, a single mom who's struggled with a couple different things. Mm-hmm. And instead of separating her from her children, bringing her and her children here. Um, so that model hasn't fully been vetted. However, we have one home in which that does happen. Okay. We have teen mothers mm-hmm. and their babies okay. that live in a home in our pregnant parenting teen house. And in that case, those girls, they're all under 18. They become pregnant, mm-hmm. oftentimes because they're looking for love in all sure. the wrong places. Right. They're victims of abuse themselves. Mm-hmm. They've been in foster care. They become pregnant. They want to keep their babies. Yeah. But we know that we have this fundamental opportunity, this responsibility to help break the cycle of sure. abuse and neglect. Right. So we take mom at any stage of her pregnancy. We give her all the maternal prenatal care that she needs while helping her really start thinking about what healthy relationships looks like. Because okay. sometimes her frame of reference is not healthy relationships. Sure, right, right. Um, and then when the baby's born, they live in the same home. That home has um, really big bedrooms that allow for one mom, one baby, and they have their own bathrooms. Okay. So it affords a nice amount of space for them. So right. in that case, we do keep moms and babies together. So it sounds like your model is constantly evolving. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, the staple of creating pathways to mm-hmm. hope and healing is is the constant, okay? right? So how do we create these sort of on-ramps to this road of recovery sure. for children? So that's the constant. Mm-hmm. What's different is the needs of kids is becoming more and more complex. Mm-hmm. They're not coming just because of one type of abuse. Unfortunately, many kids that we serve have had many childhood adversities. Sure. And so we're having to approach kids that have a bit more complexity. Mm-hmm. On the outside, they look like regular kids, right? Sure. They go to the school, nobody quite tells, but we know they've got some extraordinary challenging experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of things are the same, right? Yeah. So as much as I'm talking about sort of evolving, we believe in the model of this campus, which is home based programming mm-hmm. with a big living room where all sure. the kids get to watch TV together, 
that we believe in the power of the dining room table, mm -hmm. right? Yep. So everybody sits and has conversations. And even if you had a bad day, you're going to have dinner with everybody. Mm -hmm. um, cooking in the home, right? So everybody's yeah. cooking together. Okay. So that is not changing. Yeah. We believe in the family model. Okay, great, great. Yeah. So I've always been impressed that St. Jude's uh, is a, always uh, one of the charities that comes out in the top ten, often number one, in terms of returning the donations to the people that you're actually donating to. Mm -hmm. And the administrative cost is, 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 you know, kept as low as possible. Is, is that the case with uh, St. Jude's Ranch for Children as a well? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We're really proud of our audits and financials that sit on our website that right. shows that we have a pretty low admin cost. And... Um, as high as 85 cents on the dollar yeah. has been proven to go to the direct care of the children. Mm -hmm. um, so we're proud of that. We will offer for as proud as we are of that. We know that that means we run smart and we run sure. lean. Mm -hmm. But at times it's tough sure. because people Absolutely. think, well, you know, you got to give it all to the children. But the truth is to care for children, you need good programming. You need good data analysis. You need good, you know, mm -hmm. HR functions for our staff. So we're proud of our team and we're up to 69 employees. Mm -hmm across the entire organization. So that's a, that's quite a few people sure. we're putting to work. Especially to, to keep it that, that low. Exactly. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. So, you know, but we, we, we use a, a variety of funding sources. So, you know, we have grants mm -hmm. that, um, that have, you know, money that allows us to invest in certain things like sure. hiring more people. Mm -hmm. Then we have our donors. Some want to give us restricted funding for a particular cause mm -hmm. or a particular issue like um, college scholarships yeah. or ice cream or yeah. shoes for back to school. So we'll have restricted funding and then a lot of unrestricted funding. And so we're just really proud of our, our, our business acumen to like manage all of those financials. Sure, sure. Well, it must be difficult to do that. <laughs> it is. It, that is true. We yeah. receive a lot of federal, state, and local grant funding mm -hmm. from like the government. Sure. So we're proud that we keep getting reinvested, but it means that we're administering the money very well because yeah. we have to give them reports sure. you know, monthly. And so we're we're proud to be able to say like we're doing a good job. Knock right. on wood, we're doing a yeah. good job. <laughs> okay, great, great. So what's the connection uh, between uh, the ranch and the medical facility in Memphis, which uh, we we see all the time on the commercials on TV? Yep. So I might surprise people, but there's really only two things that tie us mm -hmm. to have something in common. One is the patron saint of St. Jude, which okay. is for desperate causes, mm -hmm. if, you know, if people um, believe in saints, and that we care for children. Yeah. Outside of that, absolutely nothing. Nothing, huh? We are not a distant cousin to the mm -hmm. hospital. Okay. We're not the step pet, what is it, the redheaded stepchild. Yeah. <laughs> right. We are not connected in any way. As okay. a matter of fact, the ranch is one year older than the hospital. Mm -hmm. Of course, the name of the hospital is prominent. Mm -hmm. They do incredible marketing, and right. they do amazing work for sure. children with childhood cancer. But we are not connected in any way. When Father Jack Adams created St. Jude's Ranch for Children in 1966, there was no competition with the hospital because it wasn't open yet. Okay. It was that Father Jack Adams believed in the patron saint of St. Jude, which okay. would alleviate the desperate need for these children. Sure. And we've always kept the name, and we always wonder every couple of years, oh, everybody gets us confused with the hospital. Should we, like, change our name? And we always come right back to, it's our name, too. Yeah, sure. And we've right. been here for a long, long time, and we're right. so proud of our tradition and our legacy that changing the name has never felt right. No. 
Well, yeah. it probably doesn't even hurt that they, they do all this marketing, and and you you probably get some some spillover from that. Well, I would imagine. Well, so yes and no. Here's mm-hmm. the thing that we're really proud of: we're incredible stewards. My team is an incredible steward of money that comes in the store. So if we get a check that yeah. says St. Jude's Hospital, uh-huh. we won't cash it. Yeah. We will call them. We will say, hey, we got your check. Thank you so much. We want to make sure you understand who we are and who we're not. 99% of the people say, wow, I can't believe you would call me, Mm -hmm. number one. Number two, now that you told me to take care of kids, you can keep it and now keep me as a donor too because I'm I'm, Mm -hmm. happy to support you. Um, and we actually have a legal agreement with the hospital on our name. Mm-hmm. We we approached them and said, hey, you do you, we'll do us. But like, I don't want to worry that as we keep growing, at some point the hospital will come back and yeah. say, you're using our name. Okay. Uh, so we're even legally protected there too. Okay, great, great. So um, you've got a chapel here. It's a beautiful chapel. Yes. Uh, do you have regular services in there? Yes. Okay. So the chapel is such a, I, I, it's like a pearl in the desert, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. It's Ooh, unexpected. Beautiful. Right. It's beautiful. It's full of artwork and stories and all kinds of great things. So um, we, so, okay, so it's open to the public Mm -hmm. every day of the week, all seven days. So anybody can come in during the day, light a candle, bring some flowers, just have some quiet time in Mm -hmm. a crazy world. It's nice to have a little quiet time. We do have good AC. So in the summer, it's nice to sit in there. (laughs) Um, But there is services there on Sundays Mm -hmm. and um, it's part of the Episcopal church. So there is a priest assigned from the Episcopal diocese and um, those services, if I um, I believe they are at 10 a.m. right now, okay. and then they'll be shifting to two services on a Sunday because the congregation is getting bigger. Really? Yeah, mm. and generally speaking, the congregation are coming from Las Vegas. They're not, um, from what we understand, they're not really Boulder City residents, mm. so people should come and check it out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So this uh, this founder of, of uh, St. Jude's, Father, Father Adams, mm-hmm. um, yes. was he an Episcopal priest? He was. Okay. Yep, and then... Following him was Father Ward, mm-hmm. so long, and of course his amazing wife Nancy Ward, our longtime sure. Boulder City residents, and may Father Ward rest in peace because he passed. Um, but so then he was the priest and CEO over mm-hmm. the organization, and then some people might recognize Father Irish, right. who was here for a long time with Hattie, his mm-hmm. lovely bride, who kept our volunteers in check, <laughs> and we miss them all. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, up until about 25 years ago, the CEO was always an Episcopal priest. Okay. Uh, then we shifted gears from being a faith-based organization to now we're just a traditional 501c3 okay. nonprofit sure. charity without a religious affiliation, which is why then I am the CEO because I'm not a priest. Okay, great. <laughs> so, so do the do the uh, children uh, go to any of these services uh, on Sunday? So um, many of them right now do not go to our services here on our chur- on mm-hmm. our campus. They go to other churches with their house parents. Okay. Um, sometimes it aligns that one of our house parents might be an Episcopal uh, an Episcopalian. Right. Um, but um, I believe of the ones we have right now, they go to other churches okay. in, in the community. Okay. Yeah. So the first time I came here was to go to the thrift store. And that okay. it seems to be a, a very popular yes. uh, a store in, in Boulder City. I mean, yes. people come here just to go to that store. Yes, we um, are so grateful for that. <laughs> right. And uh, the donation process is very easy, you know. So uh, yep. 
how important is that to, to your mission? Yeah. Well, the thrift store is important for a few reasons. One is it, it does exactly what you described. It welcomes the community who might not normally just come here. Right to come and say, oh, there's something for me to do at the ranch. Mm -hmm. I can visit the chapel or I can go to the thrift store. So number one, that's great. It brings people in. Number two, we have great products, right? Yeah. Like we have great sure. clothing items and, yeah. and, and things that we pick up of loss and founds from mm -hmm. different properties and, and uh, McCarran Airport, right? So good luggage. Yeah. Like we get a lot of really cool <laughs> stuff, right? Right. So that, that generates revenue for us, which is super important for our Absolutely. programs. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that I really love about the store is it gives jobs to our children. Okay. So if you're in the store and happen to be there at a time that a teenager is working that cash register, mm -hmm. that teenager lives here at St. Jude's Ranch for okay. Children. So we have a job training program and we could talk to kids about what it's like to get a job and keep right. a job, or we could just give them a job sure, and right. have them keep the job, mm -hmm. real-time job training. So we have a partnership with Toyota Financial Bank that funds our job training program. And so when you go into that store and you give it business, you're helping a 16 or 17-year-old with their first job that happens to be a kid that is, it has experience in adversity. Okay. But, like, it feels good, right? It's a win-win-win situation. Sure. Like, you need to shop. Mm -hmm. We have good products. And you're giving a young person a job. Like, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right. So how, how, explain how people can donate to the, to the store. Yeah. Well, um, so here on our Boulder City campus, um, there's a drop-off donations mm -hmm. um, area. We actually are looking to make some improvements to that area and have one closer to the store because right now you sort of have to drive around. Well, you and all the construction If going you don't on know where too. it's yeah. – yeah, and there's construction going <laughs> right. on, I'm sure, which we'll talk about. But – um, so you can come, you can call us if you have like furniture or mm -hmm. housewares or you have, you know, a bunch of stuff. Our team can schedule to come and pick it up in person. Mm -hmm. We ask if it's smaller bags or smaller items that you would bring it yourself. But if somebody has like, you know, furnitures or a, a new, you know, a bed that they don't need anymore, we'll come and pick it up. Yeah. And then a lot of the, the last thing about our donations is we also care for homeless 18 to 24 year olds in Las Vegas. Okay. So we have about 120 apartment units mm -hmm. across the Vegas Valley. No kidding. Yep. And a lot of those are single mothers. So mm -hmm. a 19 year old with right. maybe one or two kids that are experiencing homelessness or living in an emergency shelter or living in their car or living in the tunnels. So when we find those young people and we give them an apartment, that apartment's not furnished. Yeah. We have to furnish it. Okay. So when we get donations of plates mm -hmm. and forks and, you know, gently used right. um, pots and pans, sure. we may not sell that in the store. You might not ever see it in the store, but we're going to use it to outfit and furnish okay. a home for a formerly homeless young person. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's so, great. I didn't know that. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. So that's Very pretty cool. Sure. So let's talk about the construction. Uh, this is the you're calling it the healing center. Yep, that's the that's the operating name right now. Okay. Yes, a place for healing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Explain uh, uh, you know how the idea came about and and, and what what's the uh, process so far. Yeah, well the 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 it, it was really a call to action mm -hmm. when when I realized. Um, I mean, I've been a social worker now almost thirty years. Okay. And, you know, I've been working with kids that are victims of abuse and neglect all those years in, mm -hmm. in many different capacities from the federal government in Washington, D.C. to working for the state of Nevada. Like I've sort of been in a lot of different places. Sure. And and this growing recognition that there is such a thing as child victims of sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. 
and that there is there has been up until late like not a good place for young people to go get right. hope and healing and and the idea also that we know that we can't just mix populations of kids together mm-hmm. with varying levels of adversity like if you put too many kids together that sure. have had a lot of difference then you start kids start talking about different things and they expose maybe younger kids or kids that haven't been exposed to that kind of right. trauma to the idea that that happens. Mm-hmm. And so the idea was, you know, it, I mean, honestly, in 2017, at that time, Governor Sandoval mm-hmm. was creating a new coalition to prevent the commercial sexual exploitation of children. Okay. Or called the CSEC Coalition. Mm-hmm. And I became the coordinator for that statewide coalition okay. before I came to St. Jude's as a CEO. And, and my job was to help this 33-member coalition come up with a model protocol for how we would respond to child victims of sex trafficking okay. in three primary ways. One, how do we prevent child sex trafficking from ever happening? Mm-hmm. It's heinous. It's yeah. awful. We never want it to happen. Sure. So how do we prevent that from happening, number one? Number two, how do we create a continuum of services that is specific to victims of sex trafficking? Mm-hmm. It's a bit nuanced and different kind of abuse. And then third, how do we hold the perpetrators of crime to justice? Mm -hmm. And so I had been doing a lot of work in that area. And then I had this beautiful opportunity to return to St. Jude's as a CEO, because I had worked here once before, not as a CEO, but Mm -hmm. in this time I had this great opportunity to come. So when I came in August of 2017, I came with a lot of ideas in my mind about this urgent need to create a place for child victims of trafficking. Mm -hmm. Then I got here at the ranch, and I know we have a lot of things that are amazing, like resources and knowledge and a 56-year history of providing care to kids with complex trauma. Mm-hmm. And we have that 10-acre plot of land that has never been anything other than a bit of an eyesore, a dust storm, a place for the bunnies, sure, yeah. coyotes, mm-hmm. the tortoises periodically, and nothing else. Right. There's been a lot of talk about what we could do with that land. We could never sell it, so mm-hmm. we knew that. We had a deed restricted, um, or a restricted okay. deed. Um, so we knew we couldn't do that, and we didn't want to. Sure. And it just felt right to create a place unique to the needs of child victims of sex trafficking mm-hmm. so that we can create pathways to hope and healing for them as well. Sure, sure. So what are what are some of the elements of the healing center? What, what, what are you going to have down there? Yeah, so we'll have a main admin building with mm-hmm. an emergency shelter that only law enforcement can access so nobody can just show up and enter as a resident right right? so this is in partnership with uh, you know our police departments um, and fbi and homeland Mm -hmm. security that are oftentimes sort of like finding these children and then don't have a place to send them so it'll have um, an admin building a place for forensic interviewing um, so that we can really increase prosecution rates if Mm -hmm. we you know if we help kids feel safe enough to tell us what's happened and who has done it the hope is, the vision, the goal, and our law enforcement partners are saying, yes, we agree. If we put kids in safer environments where they feel emotionally safe enough to open up those wounds and talk about it, right. it'll increase prosecution rates because then they can go hold people accountable. Sure. Right? So that right. that's a good one. It'll have six homes. So three homes are for the newer residents, mm-hmm. only four-bedroom homes. We four want to bedrooms, re- yeah? Yeah, four wow. bedroom, th- three four-bedroom homes. It's an assessment and stabilization mm-hmm. stage, right? We're getting to know the kids. They're getting to know us. Sure. You know, so we're going to have kind of smaller home environment. Mm-hmm. Then across the courtyard, there'll be three larger homes with six bedrooms. Okay. 
And that will be where young people are starting to really, they're doing better in mm -hmm. the program, right? An on-site school, okay. so in partnership with Clark County School District that committed $5 million to build this beautiful school. Okay. It'll only be for the residents of the Healing Center and it'll be particularly trauma-informed mm -hmm. school. Um, so beautiful school, it'll look a bit like a college campus. Mm -hmm. It's not meant to be, to look like a prison or anything right. like that. Yeah. Um, and then a ton of, um, a, a therapy building. Mm -hmm. And then a ton of walking trails, gardens, benches to sit outside, places for art therapy and music therapy to happen outside or in buildings, place for yoga and meditation. Because mm -hmm. what we fundamentally know is that healing is an inside out job. Right. Right. And so we just want to create optimal conditions for healing by having a beautiful, sure. a beautifully landscaped um, campus. There'll be a tortoise habitat, mm -hmm. wow. um, a community garden on campus, because we got to give kids jobs to do. Sure. Right? Like yeah. we all need jobs. Right. right? Nobody sure. likes and, idle and time. At, at the age you're talking about, they're going to be wanting yes. to enter, enter into the job market. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, average age will probably be 15, 16, 17 year olds. Mm -hmm. And so we need them to start thinking about their values, their talents right. outside of um, being a victim of sex trafficking, right? Mm -hmm. That they have more worth than their body. Right. And so we're going to have to have, you know, a great amount of activities. So the, our architects have done a beautiful job of internalizing all of the things I just described into this kind of circular compass mm -hmm. directed sort of looking campus that is really about community. Mm -hmm. It is healing's a personal journey, but it helps when you're in a community of with other individuals that are there for the same reason. Okay. So it's really going to be an extension of the campus you have now, which yes. again is just as you described, beautifully yep. landscaped. And, exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it is really leveraging our 50 plus year history mm -hmm. of knowing how to do this work and loving how beautiful it is. Right. Now that part of the campus, the healing center will be, um, will have a gate, um, on the, in, on the interior. Mm -hmm. So only, um, you know, approved people will right. be able to just visit the rest of the campus, unlike our current campus where, you know, people can come and go to the sure. thrift store and right, things right, like right. that. But, okay. and that makes a lot of sense for yeah. safety and security reasons. So you, you, uh, when you were planning this, you went out to the residents of Boulder City and yeah. held, held several meetings. I was here for one of them. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was very, uh, uh, it made made us feel better about about what was coming on here. Yeah. So, uh, how how important was that in, in the process of getting it started? Yeah, I mean, I think it was really important. It wasn't, I guess, like nobody told me we had to do that by mm -hmm. law. Sure, right. You know, nobody had told us at that point. Well, you have to go talk to the neighbors. But we're proud to be a good neighbor, yeah, right? Like sure. we teach our young people how to be a good neighbor. Mm -hmm our homeless young people that are living in apartments across the Vegas Valley. It's about how do we teach people to be a good neighbor? Yeah. So if we're going to talk the talk, well, we got to walk the walk. Yeah, and sure. so opening up the doors to say, hey, we have this idea, knowing that it would concern some people, it would excite other mm -hmm. people, it would cause some fear or maybe some misperceptions. Like right. we knew, I knew, I knew what to expect, sure. right? That there would be a lot of questions. Yeah. And just to thought, well, the best thing to do is like, let's put it on the table. Let's have a conversation about it. Now that was pre-COVID. Right. It slowed, COVID slowed us down a bit, but I'm still really proud of 
um, us opening the doors, you know, talking with different um, homeowners associations or mm -hmm. different questions about safety and security and what's right. it going to look like and is it going to look bad as my, you know, yeah. when I drive by, what's it going to, you know, like helping people really understand. So sure. for me, it was critically important to get Boulder City, maybe not every maybe not everybody agrees right sure right and i understand that yeah. right i completely understand that but that that people would know what we're doing mm -hmm. means a lot sure and the truth is for 50 plus years a lot of people haven't known what we do on this campus because we do it kind of quietly yeah, absolutely yeah. and so it's the same <laughs> kids we're just going to serve a little bit different yeah. so you know, if you if you take into account those 50 years where we generally don't disrupt anybody, mm -hmm. we're using that same standard. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, the kids who, who you have here right now mm -hmm. go to the Boulder City Schools. Uh, they and, do. But you're going to have a separate school now for the, for these children uh, yes. or young people. Uh, why did you decide to do that rather than, than send them, put them into the system as well? Yeah, I mean, I, a, a few main reasons. Um the complexity of trauma when you're a victim of sure. sex trafficking and sexual exploitation and sexual violence is has a different impact mm -hmm. on a child's life. And they've also quite literally, these 15, 16 year olds have been living a life of adults. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. They don't they don't sleep at night. Right. They work. Um, their sleep schedules are different. Sure. The way they dress is different. The way they interact with adults is different. Mm -hmm. So the idea for me of imagining placing a child with those kinds of experience into a public school was unsettling for me, for sure. them, yeah. for the teachers, mm -hmm. and for other kids in the school, and that kind of assimilation that has to happen. Right. So we just agreed, like, that assimilation isn't going to happen that great for for that first kind of year of programming. Right. Look, if we've done our job well, sure. then they've been at the healing center for a year, They've gotten better, and maybe they, you know, go back to their family if their family's safe, and go back to a public school. Maybe they stay in one of our other foster homes and go to a high, you know, go to mm -hmm. high school, or maybe not. Sure. But giving ourselves a layer of protection there sure. um, just made sense, and I think our teachers and principals and you know our neighbors appreciated mm -hmm. not thinking that oh my gosh are these kids going to sort of influence our other kids. Sure. It just made sense to kind of create a little bit of a microcosm of of a school for them. Mm -hmm. um, and Clark County School District, although I didn't think they were going to be as open, mm -hmm. incredibly supportive of creating this specialized program because the needs are so complex yeah. um, and special. And, you know, let's be honest, all schools right now have large classroom sizes. Sure. So if you have too many kids with unique individualized like issues, it's hard for teachers. Sure, you know. So, and unfortunately, Las Vegas is, is kind of a, a, a hub for for that kind of sexual trafficking. And uh, you exactly. know, if anything we can do to to keep that you know under control, I think I think really is is admirable. Yeah. Absolutely, and I will say one last thing about that is, the people across the country are watching us. Mm -hmm. This has not been done. Other places where they might be serving victims of trafficking, they've right. repurposed a home yeah. or they've repurposed some part of their campus. Mm -hmm. To our knowledge, nobody has built from the dirt up a special place like this with the on-site school. Okay. Like there's no on-site school for trafficking victims sure. anywhere in the country. Great. And so what an amazing opportunity. Yeah. What an incredible responsibility we have to get it right. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of people are really impressed mm -hmm. with what we've been able to do. 
And I'm impressed that Boulder City, despite its reservations and mm -hmm. the, the residents of Boulder City, despite reservations, have still been like, okay, all right, well, I don't love it, but we'll get there, right? right? And then others are like, absolutely, we're so proud of mm -hmm. having St. Jude's in our community. So, you know, we're just, we're in it together. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> yep, yep. So what's the timeline for completion of the healing center? Yeah, well, it's under construction now. Mm -hmm. It's full on moving. Um, we anticipate it will be open in the fall of 2024. Okay. So one short year. That's pretty aggressive. It's pretty <laughs> aggressive, but here's the reasons why we think it's it's possible. So a couple years ago when uh, commodity prices were really, really high and mm -hmm. wood was like right. really expensive, we shifted to prefabricated buildings okay. made of steel. Mm -hmm. So those are actually being built right now in mm -hmm. Utah. Okay. They'll come in pieces, if you will, once mm -hmm. the slabs are down and concrete right. utilities and all of that, which is what's happening now. When those structures come, they'll already be structures. Yeah. So then they put them up and then they put, you know, drywall and insulation mm -hmm. and all the things they do. But they go up pretty quickly considering yeah. there's six homes and they're all one story mm -hmm. buildings. The school, it will be a wood structure. Yeah. So that one might take a little bit longer, but if there's nothing that complex about the campus, they're mm -hmm. all one story buildings. Yep. Um, they're, they're cookie cutter of each other. Yeah. So the construction company who we're using, which is Whiting Turner, national, mm -hmm. you know, uh, high quality construction partner says, yeah, we'll have it done for you in the fall of 2024. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you say so. If right? you say so. I mean, <laughs> barring all the things that nobody knows will happen. Like if, you know, some rainstorm, I don't know, sure, whatever. Right. I'm sure there will be some construction delays, but yeah. um, overall they're incredibly optimistic that their time schedule is, um, is, is reasonable. Mm. Right. Like, okay. Sure. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to the grand opening. That's yes. For sure. Thank sure you. We can't have, wait. We'll have a nice to... event for that. I'm sure. Yeah. We'll, we will welcome the community mm -hmm. like we did for the dirt sort of groundbreaking that right. we'll do a, ribbon cutting opening ceremony for everybody to come and see it because once it has a lot of residents then we probably won't have open houses or anything like right. that so we'll we'll let folks come and check it out sure. and see how beautiful it yeah, is yeah, and no stuff question. so yeah so just a couple of questions boulder city's principal business is, is tourism uh, do mm -hmm. you think saint jude could should be included in that kind of mission I think yes, mm -hmm. and here's why, because tourists actually come and see us. Yeah, They come for the chapel, mm -hmm. they come for the thrift store. Interestingly enough, they come for the Stations of the Cross. So up on that little hill, when you first kind of mm -hmm. come in, it looks like a mound of dirt. Right. But if you look all the way up at the top, there's a crucifix up there, and there's Stations of the Cross mm -hmm. where people kind of come and pilgrimage, if you will, up right. to the top and then back down. There's flowers up there. A lot of people come and visit. Mm -hmm. We've had tour buses stop here and they want to shop. We've had um, tour buses that are, you know, coming from coming from Arizona. They're coming from Mexico. They're coming from New Mexico and they're coming to Vegas and and tour guides or tour like the bus drivers yeah. stop here okay because they can get a snack they right. can get some water they can stretch their legs mm -hmm. they can see multiple things so I think I mean we do have tourists come in because of our campus sure. we've also had people that want to get married mm -hmm. um, in that are from Vegas yeah. and want to get married in our chapel. So in essence, like, are they tourists? I don't know. They're new to Boulder City because they want to come to our chapel. Sure, right. 
And then, maybe people don't really know this, but every once in a while, a couple times a year, a movie director or, like, movie people Mm -hmm. come and film parts of movies a lot of times in the chapel. Okay. And they rent it out, and Mm -hmm. they pay us a nice little fee. And so I think we have a lot to offer um, with those gates open and that sense of, like, come on in. Sure. And then the last thing is um, at Christmas time, we host our Night of Lights event. So Mm -hmm. this year will be December, oh my gosh, now I'm blanking, December 9th, I believe. It's Saturday, the second Saturday of December um, for Night same, of Lights. The same day the Christmas parade is held? It is, okay. so we do it at night. Okay. Christmas parade's in the day right. or in the morning uh, or in you know in the yeah. earlier part of the day. This will be our 17th year. And over the last couple of years, we've had about 500 people come wow. to that event. Mm-hmm. They're not all Boulder City residents. No. We, well, we welcome the a lot come to of the parade or not all Boulder right. City either. So for those reasons, I think we are very much part of the economic sort of footprint of right. this community, um, and kind of a you know a, a, a you know place to shine a light on what's possible when a community wants sure. to stand with its children that right. are victims of abuse and neglect. Great. Uh, just one more question. Do you have any other plans for growth for, for St. Jude's, or do you have a vision uh, of what, what this could be eventually? Yeah, I mean, we have a few other goals. Like, we'd like to have a, a, a bigger sports kind of complex, if you will. Yeah. You know, so maybe we get some pickleball courts, and then it's yeah. open to the community. <laughs> or, uh, you know, we've got a lot of dirt up here kind of up on the hill. Right. Um, right now we have a small baseball field, and we have basketball courts, okay. and a lot of dirt in between. Yeah. So we'd love, you know, a partnership with someone who would be interested in helping us put together kind of a sports complex. Sure. We think it would be open to the community. Yeah. Um, and then we've thought about a little amphitheater. We also have mm-hmm. another plot of land that's kind of a little bit on an incline. It would mm-hmm. be perfect for an amphitheater. Yeah. Again, things that the community could use as sure. well as we could. Outside of that, um, somebody has approached us about creating an aeroponic farm. Okay. So that we could host some farmer's markets mm-hmm. for Boulder City residents to come and get some beautifully grown herbs and veggies and right. all sure. kinds of stuff. So I thought I think that's pretty intriguing. Yeah. yeah. Outside of that, not anything too too crazy. Right? Too crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. I'm I'm running out of ideas. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> well, well, you're going to have your hands full. I think when when the new facility opens and then yeah. uh, uh, you know people start to realize you know what this means to Boulder City. So yeah. So Dr. Vella, thank you for for joining us. Uh, I really, I learned a lot today. I mean, I, I had no idea you were not even connected to the to the Memphis facility. So yep. uh, just that that uh, that alone is, is pretty, surprise. It's pretty fascinating though, <laughs> so that you yeah. you've done so well over the so again thank you for the time and and we'll check in again when when the healing center opens next year yeah thank you so much and for anybody listening we are always recruiting volunteers or folks can come and you know donate their time or their their treasures right Right. Uh, people can visit our website at stjudesranch.org and we have a pretty active social media facebook Mm -hmm. and instagram so folks are looking for things to do Mm -hmm. uh, there's always a way to get connected to our work so thank you Always ways to donate as well, right? Well, always ways to donate. That is <laughs> yeah. true. That is true. Great. Well, thank you for the time. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on the Boulder City Podcast. And special thanks to Boulder City Social for helping us disseminate the episodes of the Boulder City Podcast. So we'll see you next time on the Boulder City Podcast.